You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning is Galatians chapter 5 verses 25 and 26 and Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But... Let each one test his own work, then and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Well, thank you so much, Josh. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and communicates to us. That you've given us your word for when we want to read it and when we don't want to read it. For when we're excited to read it and when we feel apathetic. We're asking now that as we hear your word read during this weird time where we're watching this online, you would send your spirit upon us that your word might change us and transform us, that we might know Jesus and be his people faithfully in this world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of you, like me, were glued to the news this week coming out of Atlanta. Eight lives lost, six of them Asian women. It's hard not to connect the dots. And as time rolled on, as more and more news stories came out, it became obvious that there is fear and pain in the Asian and Pacific Island communities, not just in the U.S., not just in Canada, but even here in Toronto. This year, as we've battled this global pandemic, has exposed a residual or or, uh, has given opportunity for racism and violence against Asians and Pacific Islanders in ways that weren't previously normal. It seems as though there's an increase in this violence all over North America. And as I watched the news, I couldn't help but see my own naivete about this increase in bigoted and belittling and racist, hate-filled treatment of some in our community. I realized I have much to learn. I realized little things like joking and sending memes around have consequences. And a week like this was painful and involved a lot of soul searching. Now I realize there are kids watching and I want to be careful about some of the details I share. But as the murderer was finally apprehended, we learned that he was a Christian. And we also learned that he had a past history of checking into sex rehab clinics And as the police caught him, and as he identified his own motive, at least as he thought his motive was, um, he said he was hopeful that he was, quote, eliminating temptations. Now listen, motives are complicated. I don't care to argue about them. I realize there's a whole cocktail of motives behind what he did, and he probably didn't even know some of them. But according to law enforcement's record, this man believed he was, quote, helping others. He was considering taking his own life, but he chose this path to battle temptation. Now, I hope this goes without saying, this is a horrendous act, absolutely evil. 
but I also hope it goes without saying, after studying temptation throughout this Lenten season, that this is no way to deal with temptation. The Bible in no way would hint at this being a good way to do battle with, to deal with the temptations that rage. In fact, you remember, we talked the very first week about how these temptations ultimately reside deep inside of us. They're not out there, they're in here. And the things in here are enticed by things out there. But the problem is in here. This is how he thought he could find victory over temptation, and he was flat out wrong. And the Bible in no way would support this kind of behavior. We're in our last week reflecting on temptation, thinking about temptation, and it has been so hard for me to read in the news as journalists try to make sense of this man's view of temptation. People who have no religious background try to understand why he would think this is a good way to fight temptation. And it's frustrating to watch them wonder if the church and the church's teaching might behind, be behind some of what we witnessed. Well, I want to end this week by reflecting on the role our whole community plays as it relates to dealing with the temptations that come. Obviously, what we saw in Atlanta is horrendous, and I think it goes so in opposition to the Bible that it's almost unfathomable to tie it together with Christianity. But we have to reflect, how do we battle temptation? And how do we as a community come together, rally together, and help others in a world where, in, where we are enticed often? where the, 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 our hearts are lured often towards temptations. What I want to say this morning is that Paul, in this small instruction that he gives to the church in Galatia, gives us a problem that we need to look for, a plan that we need to execute, and then finally a principle we need to live by. So a problem to look for, a plan to execute, and a principle to live by. And I hope as we conclude this sermon series, we come out of it with a more robust understanding of not just how temptation works in our personal lives, but also how we as a community are to come together, rally together in the face of temptation. So first, let's talk about a problem to look for. What is the problem we are to look for? Well, Paul is concluding this letter in this passage we're looking at to the churches in Galatia. And in his final parting words, he's, he's giving incredible practical wisdom. And Paul's concern for the church is that they walk properly in light of knowing Jesus. What has happened in the church that he's writing to is rival missionaries have come and they've told this church, it's, a, it's somewhat complicated, but they've told this church, the way to maintain your Christian life, to stay in good graces with Jesus, is to revert to Judaism, to practice circumcision, and to take on all the ceremonial laws. And Paul is so frustrated by this, he actually says that these rival missionaries are actually preaching a false gospel. They're not heralding the good news. Jesus has come and he has sent his spirit now and there's no need to revert back to that age before. In the age of the spirit, we have tremendous freedoms. But Paul wants to end this letter by saying, here is how to use those freedoms. What does he say? The, the, this whole sermon is essentially a reflection mostly on verse 1. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should seek to restore. What is Paul saying? He's saying there's a problem to look for, even in this age of the Spirit, even in this age of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, in which all things are new in the resurrection. People will still get caught in transgression. The picture is someone sort of walking along the sidewalk, marching along the sidewalk. You know, you see it all the time. Their ankle hits the, where the sidewalk meets the grass, where it's not level, and they roll their ankle. They, they fall off course, walking out of step. 
they're caught or overtaken. It's, it's something that's kind of passive to them. Sure, they are the actors, but they, they get overtaken, overwhelmed. They're unable to control themselves. Paul here isn't so much thinking of an intervention. In one sense, that's too late. He's not saying the church needs to be the place where we sit around circles of chairs and constantly have interventions with one another. Look, everyone does that. Even the non-Christian world does that. In some senses, they do it, the interventions better than the Christian world. Paul also isn't saying that we need to be the type of people that confront everybody about every little sin, that we become sort of busybody, good church people who are constantly uh, looking at everyone else's sins and just like, like hawks trying to criticize and critique everything we see in others. He says elsewhere, love is patient, it's kind, it's not easily provoked. He says elsewhere, love covers a multitude of sins. But he says, be on the lookout for this. Not that people will sin. Yes, people will sin. They will sin constantly. But be on the lookout for people who are getting tripped up. People who are in a pattern or cycle, recurring practices, and they are starting to deviate off course. What this means is when we see somebody or hear somebody gossip consistently, that they can't grow a relationship without sharing gossip, we need to pull them aside. When we see someone filled with a critical spirit, always knows better, always negative, always angry, just criticizing everything. We need to talk to these people. When we see people who are always talking about themselves, who have become way too self-absorbed with their brand and who they think they are, we've got to find a way to pull these people aside and talk to them. When a person spends too much money on themselves, when they shrink in generosity and, we, uh, and, and then they change their practices of spending, we've got to be the type of community that's in place to say, I wonder if you're wondering off course that is able, that is on the lookout and able to confront. Paul's saying, be on the lookout for these types of behaviors. When it happens, it is, it is too late. <laughs> Sorry, don't wait until it's too late to intervene. Be on the lookout. It's going to happen to your pastor. It's going to happen to others. We have to be on the lookout for people who are deviating. We have to see this happening. I'll never forget a season in my life. I was finishing seminary. And I was confronted by an individual who said I had become so cynical. I distrusted everything. I thought nothing was genuine. I literally mocked everything, not just outside of the church, but inside of the church. Nothing seemed real. And this individual pulled me aside and said, I don't think you will maintain a Christian faith for very long if you don't deal with this cynicism. And he was right. This is the problem to look for. Someone caught in this rut. Think of someone on the sidewalk, stepping, their ankle rolls, they're starting to fall, deviating patterns. Have you seen this in people in the church? Sure you have. But are you looking? Next, Paul's going to give us a plan to execute, though. And again, we see this in verse 1. Paul says, You who are spiritual should restore, but in a spirit of gentleness. Now, the word restore is a medical word. It's a word used to set dislocated bones or bones that are sort of out of joint. It's also a word that was used frequently by fishermen as they mended their nets, as they, they restored their nets to a, a functional usability. And it's a beautiful picture. Paul is saying, if you don't intervene when you see your sister deviating, when you see your brother sort of going off course, you are allowing this person to be like a net that is going to be pulled into the boat, but there's a hole and all the fish roll out. You are, you are allowing this person to be like the type of person who has a hip out of joint. You're going to watch them walk for many years with this hip problem. You must restore them. But you got to do this with a spirit of gentleness. You know, the forceful imagery of someone like resetting a, a nose that's broken or throwing their shoulder back into place is not altogether helpful. 
The picture is something gentle, more like scalpel work, or think of those very small fishing nets as they would mend them together by hand. Something must be done, though, and it must be a, 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 there must be an attempt to bring about restoration. Now, as I see it, there's two traps that the church falls into. One that's more common in Toronto, one that's not as common. But for some in the church, one of the traps is this trap of self-righteousness. That sort of walks around saying, how dare they do that? We don't just see this in the church, though. We see this outside of the church. What is cancel culture? Other than failing to restore people, just canceling them, erasing them. Push, in the church, it's more that we push people aside with shame. We make them take a backseat role in the community. So there's a self-righteous approach that neglects restoring, but it's also possible to take an ambivalent approach towards restoring. To say, you know, who am I? Who am I to restore? I, I don't know. This person probably is probably not as bad as it looks. They probably have it under control. Y you know, you do you. And there's, a, there's an attempt to just also avoid confrontation altogether, to assume things are fine that I fear the majority in our church would be guilty of when people need to be restored. Now, why do we do that? Well, we do that because we know it might work. <laughs> if, if, if it fails, we know we lose a relationship potentially and someone hates us. But I think our bigger fear is if we do attempt to restore someone and they are restored, well, then that person, after having such a positive experience, is going to be on the lookout of our lives for areas we might be deviating. And quite frankly, I think many of us like to just be left alone. Paul's call is for us to restore, not to keep physical distance you know, not to push people away, but to set the bone, to mend the net, to bring back restoration to the fullness of relationship. One of my favorite Olympic moments happened in 1992. It's a uh, clip that you see often in commercials for various, uh, various products, but it, there was a runner named Derek Redman. Uh, he had torn his Achilles tendon, I believe, in the previous Olympics, four years earlier, had been had undergone many surgeries, trained so hard and made the team again, and was predicted to do really well, one of the top sprinters. And then one of the, I think of the 100 meter dash, you, you'll remember the story, he bends over, the ready set, the gun sounds, and he starts running and then immediately does what you'd never want to see someone doing in a sprint, which is just pull straight up. He pulled his hamstring. And as he's uh, laying on the track, sort of agonizing in pain, what happens? You'll know the picture. Someone hops over from the stands, runs onto the track, I guess security was different at this time, walks over to Redmond, picks him up, and with him draped over his shoulder, basically, walks Redmond to the finish line. It was his father. And he told his son, you've worked too hard to not finish. We're going to get there. We're going to get to that finish line. This is what we're called to do for one another. This is the plan, we're to the plan that we are to execute. Restore those who are falling away. Bring them back. Mend them together again for usefulness. Now let's talk about the principle Paul gives. And what is the principle? Well, again, it's in verse 1. Keep wa keeping watch over yourselves, lest you too become tempted. Now the question is, as you read this, is, is tempted to what? Tempted towards the sin that you're confronting someone else with? Not necessarily. I think the temptation Paul is referring to is the temptation of pride. And to make that argument, just read verses 3 and verses 4. Uh, there's direct warnings against pride and how it works itself out in community. But the principle is that one, for one in a, a position of superiority to another to grant restoration to someone caught in sin, to bring someone back to usefulness, this sort of position of teacher to student starts to go to your head. 
And you start to think, maybe I'm just made of better stuff. Uh, And you start to let your mind go, how can they do that? Why did they do that? I could never do that. Paul's saying, watch out. Watch out. And we all know that this is how it works as we seek to restore somebody. It's possible that when we see someone trapped in sin and we try to restore them and fail and try to restore them and fail, we become laser focused and angry towards this person and we lose the fact that this sin is also, the sin of pride can overwhelm us and have a destructive power in our life much greater than any sin that we are seeking to confront someone by. This is the principle that we're to live by. Just this week I heard the story of an individual counselor who really enjoyed his work, did his work with confidence, but did his work with too much confidence and really enjoyed the power with which he had in this position and didn't keep watch over himself. And now very serious accusations have come over this person, much greater than any of the accusations that he was previously helping people, counsel people through. Because this pride got to his head and this toxic idea led him to believe he was possibly better than others. And it caused tremendous, tremendous amounts of pain to the people he counseled. This is the principle. And it's a principle we discussed in the previous week and that's been laden in all of our thoughts of temptation. That you have more in common with anyone caught in sin than you have different. Let me say it again. You have more in common with anyone you see caught in sin than you have different. Humility humility is required if we are going to engage with and deal with the temptations we see others caught in. The second we say, I would never do that, what are we doing? We're separating ourselves from the other. We're saying we're better. And this is the opposite of restoration. We're to look at the person caught in sin and we're going to say, I could do that. I could conceive of myself doing just that and worse. And we're to move towards and restore and mend and bring back into the community. You see, this is what the gospel is all about, realizing that none of our efforts, none of our behaviors are purely good. They're all tainted by a mix of motives. And realizing there's no way on this earth that we can immune ourselves to temptation. No sort of commune we could create where temptation would move away from us. The problem is inside of us. We are corrupt deep down to our core. And we've been tripped up by sin. We've deviated off course. But what is the gospel all about? Is it not about someone seeing us caught in sin, moving to restore us, not just uh, to shame us, but to restore us and use us for usefulness? Is it not about God sending Jesus to rescue and to bring us back, to bring us to his table, to restore us to full fellowship and to make us agents in his kingdom? Isn't this what the good news is all about? Look, if you've never really trusted in Jesus, if you've never really put him as the center of your life and focused all your your energy and thought about your loyalty to him, you have no hope in ever restoring others. The only way to be an agent of this restoration is to be a beneficiary of the resurrection you've received in Christ. This is the only way to learn to gently restore others. When Christ is the center of your life and you see what he has done for you, you see that he is your identity, he is your hope, you'll realize nothing can destroy you. And that'll mean that though you won't enjoy confronting people, it'll never be something you like doing, you also won't shy away from it. It also means that you'll be open to let people talk to you about your flaws without getting defensive. It means you will open your life up in community and say, I know who I am. 
I know deep down that my sins were so great it required the Son of God to come to earth to die for me to restore my relationship with God. I know who I am. I need your help to see clearly, to walk faithfully, to make it to this finish line. This is how we're to deal with sin. This is how we're to deal with temptation. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.